So often in the church, we sort of say, if we warn you enough, if we tell you enough times that this is wrong, then you will simply stop it because you need to just make a conscious decision. You just need to make a choice and not recognizing that that person, that adult, especially with that teen, has been viewing pornography for an extended period of time. And they have this 500 pound gorilla on their back and they want often to be free of it. They promise themselves, they promise God, they promise their spouse, they promise to others that they would never go back to pornography, but they keep going back. So why, why is that? Why are they not in more in control? Why was I not more in control? Porn has been a part of your life, your husband's life, your neighbors, your coworkers, your kids. I mean, anyone you know and love, this episode is for them. Honestly, it's a crucial, crucial, crucial conversation. I took notes the whole time. And I think it's because we, I learned that we have been taught so many things about porn that are not helpful. And actually, if you think about it, if I asked you, how can you or someone you know and love get free from porn? I bet that you wouldn't have an answer. And that's a problem. So we are talking about that. How can we actually find freedom from pornography? And how can we address this topic in a way that is healthy in our marriages, in our households, in our church families? so that we can actually find health and freedom. Oh, it is so good. So just a heads up to everything we talk about in this episode, it's linked in the show notes. So take advantage of everything that Sam references. And uh, I think you're going to really find this helpful. Again, do not forget to share it with someone. You never know who is struggling with pornography. It's, you know, not something people like to talk about. So share it um, and help someone in your life that maybe you don't even know you're helping. So let's dive in and let's listen to this amazing conversation with Sam Black with Covenant Eyes. Hey, everyone. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Am I excited? This is going to be such a good interview. And uh, welcome to A Wife Like Me, everyone. If you're new, welcome, Sam Black. You are new to all of us here. It's your first time with us. Um, So thank you for being with us. Amanda, I am so looking for this conversation. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we are diving into a necessary topic today. Your new book, congratulations, by the way, it's called The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. I've been like marking up the book, making so many notes, so many uh, foldovers, which people sometimes can't stand, but I, I'm a foldover kind of gal. <laughs> I've got so many things I want to ask you and talk to you about because pornography is obviously, as you know, you've, you've dedicated really so much of your work to this topic and to helping people, helping Christians become aware of the topic, how it affects us and what we can do to move forward and find healing. And so I'm so pumped and I have so many, so many questions for you. But before we get into that, will you just introduce yourself a bit for us or to us so that we know who you are? Yes, thank you. I, my name is Sam Black. And before I joined Covenant Eyes, I spent 18 years as a journalist. And that was, you know, God uses our talents and in the most unexpected ways. And I would have never pictured myself writing this book uh, 18 years ago or et cetera. So, um, for the last 16 years, I've served at Covenant Eyes in a number of roles, and I'm currently the Director of Recovery Education at Covenant Eyes, and uh, 
we have launched a beautiful new app with within my new role called the Victory App by Covenant Eyes. Within it are more than 30 courses that help people understand um, the impact pornography has on men, women, and children. And not only that, but it helps people understand, okay, I've been struggling. Why do I seem to stay stuck? How can I really begin living in freedom? And that's the Victory App by Covenant Eyes, which you can download to your uh, any your all your devices. In fact, there's even a web version of it as well. the The Healing Church uh, launched in May seventeenth this year, so that's exciting. Uh, and if you'd like to download the first chapter and the introduction for free, you can do that at thehealingchurch.com. You can buy the book wherever you normally buy books online. Awesome, awesome! I'm so excited. So, one of the things that you initially dive into in the book is you present this question or you pose this question do we really know what pornography is mm. and i Isn't love it? that yeah <laughs> it's like let's just start there because it's interesting i love how you open the book up so you're just gonna need to get the book if porn has been a, any part in your life if you're yeah. listening or watching or if you fear for your kids like hey i want to set them up for success this book is for you and it's everything is linked. Everything that Sam is talking about and referencing will be linked in the show notes. So check those out and, and head over there. But let's just start with that question of what, what really is porn? Cause I love your answer. That's actually chapter two, right? We, we you get to jump in, right? You jump in a little deeper. Thank you. What is pornography is often lost on a lot of, of people today because in 2007, we came out with the iPhone. And before that, we had the iPad. And pornography has been pervasive for decades. Right? This is not something new, but it's become even more so. So since the iPhone and the iPad or iPod before that, we have been walking around with the world's largest library of pornography ever created in the history of mankind in our pockets. And we have been handing these devices over to kids at an early age, believing in their innocence, that they would never be curious like I was curious or maybe you were curious as a child. And, and unlike in the past, what was so hard to get access to maybe, this has created unlimited access in so many ways. And But as Christians, we often uh, use media just like the rest of our culture. And we might say, oh, no, 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 Sam, we don't do that. We, but how often do we, how much time do we spend on our devices? What are we seeing in TV and uh, the advertising that's coming to us and a number, of, a number of things? So there is one definition of pornography that most Christians can sort of adopt and believe in, but believe it or not, most Christians aren't, many Christians aren't adopting that definition. And so what is pornography seems very confusing. We all think we know what it is until we don't. And so I was speaking at an event, for, for example, where it was a, a large community of Christians who were trying to address this issue, and they had a lot of college students there, et cetera. And uh, one, some of the people there described how they were visiting uh, websites that would have underwear or things like that. And that became 
literally their pornography was would it meet the definition of oh that's porn well what is causing you to lust what is causing you to seek out for your own gratification outside of the bonds of marriage what is what are you going to see jesus was very direct he said if you look at another with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery of them already. So I think it's more imperative, rather than saying this is or this isn't pornography, it's more important to understand where is our heart. And that is most valuable to me as a Christian. And so if we're going to follow Christ, we really need to examine our heart. What are we using rather than playing the game of, oh, well, Game of Thrones really isn't pornography, is it? Even though there are nudity and sexual scenes and all these other things going on, how does that, how are you reacting to that? Oh, you know, I don't really react to that at all. How much has your conscience been seared by that kind of media? So, for instance, when Barna did a study in, in 2016, and they found that two-thirds of men in the church and a third of women in the church See, they have an ongoing struggle with pornography. What was some leaders said, you know, that seems a little low. That even, you know, once a month or every six months, they might view pornography in that sense. Isn't that a little low? And what was interesting, another 16% of, of people taking that survey said, if there is a video, that is showing nudity and sexual interactions, etc. And it's there's no storyline, but it's all about showing sexual acts. That's really not pornography. Really, so we've we've our conscious in our culture have truly been seared, even within the church, that many in the church are also saying that which I show in the book, studies are showing that Christians are saying pornography is morally acceptable. So we really, I, you know, there is so much content that some I reviewed um, more than 70 studies, read more in books, et cetera, for this book. So there's a lot of content in there. And I encourage you to dive deeper into, okay, what, what do we call pornography? Because something is amiss here. Yeah. And I love, I'm sure I won't find it now, but, um, you know, I love how you end here it is. I actually did just find it. Okay. You write what caused like some helpful questions to search your heart in answering this question. What causes you to look with lustful intent? What causes your heart to treat another as a sexual object? What do you store in your memory for masturbation fantasies? Not just the object or image or video itself, but also consider the lust that comes from seeking to use these things for sexual gratif gratification. Do you not know that you are defiled by what comes out of your heart? That is porn. That is porn to you. And so that's just very, I think, helpful, you know, because for each of us, mm -hmm. it might look a little different um, and in ways that might not at all be something that we would think for ourselves is for someone else. And I think that's, mm -hmm. Exactly the point of those questions is for each of us, it's a heart um, examination, really. And so it's super important um, because it doesn't always look the same. I think 
you know, in, in marriage in particular, what I see porn, this is obviously such a, such a common conversation mm-hmm. for wives and husbands for both, mm-hmm. you know, going both directions that it's in some way it's impacting their marriage. Right. And I, I see often that when porn becomes a part of the conversation in marriage, mm-hmm. the response is typically one of shame, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we probably aren't, you know, it's not a topic that we understand very well, that the common then response is, you know, shame or like a, a, out of anger, frustration, you were, we're shaming. And, and I think we see this in the church as well. I've experienced mm-hmm. that in conversation and, you know, from the pulpit, um, in different messaging that, that, you know, this, this shame based sort of system. But what I love that you do in the book is you, co- you sort of lay out this common theme that, um, if you really look at it, it's helpful because it really helps us understand the, the common, sort of path that we a lot of a lot of us have gone down and mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. it's it sort of helps us understand well of course that would happen of course that would become maybe our habitual response or tendency so can we talk about that you talk about the common theme in uh, pornography use in people so often in the church, as you said, we sort of say, we, if we warn you enough, if we tell you enough times that this is wrong, then you will simply stop it because you need to just make a conscious decision. You just need to make a choice and not recognizing that that person, that adult, especially or that teen has been viewing pornography for an extended period of time. And they have this 500 pound gorilla on their back and they want often to be free of it. They've promised themselves. They promised God. They promised their spouse. They promised to others that they would never go back to pornography, but they keep going back. So why, why is that? Why are they not in more in control? Why was I not more in control? Right. There's a three common factors that are so common. It is first early exposure. Number two, it is ongoing repetition and use. And number three, it is some drama or trauma that especially is impactful, most impactful in that, in, in their younger years. And my story is very, sort of outlines this very, very easily. I was 10 years old when I remember stepping out of my parents' house in Florida. And my brother, who is 10 years older than me, than me, was looking at a magazine sideways. And I'm dating myself a little bit there. And his friend uh, was with him, and they were looking at this magazine sideways. And that just didn't make any sense. How can you read that way? And I said, what are you guys looking at? And they immediately turned it around. And I didn't step away. I stepped forward. Because every child is naturally curious about what the opposite sex looks like without clothes. And so even though I was in a Christian home, I didn't step away or cover my eyes. I didn't even, I'd never seen anything like this, never been trained about this. And this is important for parents who are listening, that we can actually teach and train and disciple our kids for the day that they are exposed and teach them to turn what and tell. But I didn't have that information. And so I stepped forward. And as Prince says, 
Well, you don't want to miss the good part and unfolds the rest of the centerfold. But I didn't know what he was talking about because I didn't even have the basic understanding of sexuality. But I had a friend. And now, let me, let me pause for a moment there because we need to understand that I only saw, what I saw was nudity. But today, children are seeing hardcore pornography that is debasing and violent and demeaning and so incredible uh, uh, to, the, to the brain. It's shocking. It's startling. And so dope, when sexual cues are picked up, even for kids that don't really understand why are they are having these feelings, dopamine kicks off in relation to that. Dopamine also loves novelty, things not seen before. But these natural responses to inner bodies uh, begin focusing that attention. Now, in God's design, that is perfect. Because in marriage, the rest of the world disappears and we focus on our spouse, right? God's design, beautiful. But pornography is not sex. It's a hijacking of what God created. So, a child getting tunnel vision for the pornography that is in front of them, they get a spritz of something that feels good, and dopamine helps burn memories into the brain. And along with norepinephrine, which is often associated with the fight or flight, also helps burn those memories. That's why if you ask just about any adult, when was the first time that you saw pornography, they can tell you a false story, just like I did. Right? I was 10 years old. I can't tell you anything else about that day, but I told you a full story about my first exposure to porn. I also had a friend, and his dad had pornography that was falling out of his closet. It looked a little like a waterfall, and if you can imagine seeing just a, a regular closet with a shelf up top, and there are stacks of hardcore pornography, it is sort of leaning over and falling down, and there's a pile of it on the floor. That's, I could take anything I wanted, and I did. So that repetitive use helps burn neural pathways in the brain that begin craving it more and more. Now, the third part of this component is, even though I grew up in a Christian home, it was a hypocritically violent home that was also very controlling and strict. And there were, and what is so interesting is that in, as counselors have reviewed this over and over, they found a direct correlation between that strictness, that in that um, strict home systems, where there is no asking why, there is simply lines in the sand that are not to be crossed. Right? It is this is the way it is, and there is no other way, and we don't have explanations, and we don't have ongoing communication. We're not an open. We're not an a family that really has those deep and more meaningful conversations, right? So it would flip, pornography flip from just curiosity or something that feels good, but to become an escape, escape from violence, an escape from if I feel anger or frustration or harm or lack of self-worth or what have you. And those would expand, those triggers would expand to things like boredom or I didn't do well at school or I got bullied or picked on or something else happened. After a while, just, just to feel normal. And so pornography would follow me from middle school to high school to college and my marriage. 
And all the while, as a, as a teen and others, I knew that pornography was wrong. So like many men and women who hear the purity message, it doesn't help them so much because they already know they need to be pure. They just don't know how to get out. They want to stop. They, again, promised themselves and God and others that they would never go back to this, and yet they keep going back. So when we, what we need in the church is a safe place with a safe process that allows me to commune with another man or for a woman to commune with another woman and begin having a community that helps them on a journey toward real and lasting freedom. Not, not temporary freedom, but lasting wholeness. It so happened that my, by, in my early marriage, I've become agnostic. I entered my marriage agnostic. And uh, God had to be there, I thought. He's got to be somewhere, but he just doesn't. I can't live up to what he has in mind. I'm never going to get this right. And I might as well quit now. And I'm not sure he, this whole Christian thing matters anyway. But my wife is coming to Christ through my sister. And she has been attending with our babies to a small church in our, in our community, which we still attend today. And she asked if I will go with her. Uh, to a couple of things. And one of them is a, is a marriage class. And I knew our marriage needed help and support. And so I said, yes. And they did the craziest thing when we walked in the door. We sat down and I look at the, the facilitators of the class and they close the door and they turn with this big smile and say, this is a safe place. What is said here stays here. And people in that class would talk about the terrible things in their marriage they said to one another and did to one another and how they felt and all the things that were happening. And they were honest and real and honest and, and not a word was ever spoken outside there. It was incredible. But within that, I also learned that pornography could be compulsive and addictive, and that was a great relief. From a secular perspective, evolution didn't make me this way. From a spiritual perspective, God didn't make me this way, and I didn't have to stay this way. And with support of other men, I got to go on a journey where, and it was a meandering journey, especially at first. I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing or how to do, do any of this. And so with that support, though, I began to go on a journey where I could open up not just the issue of pornography, but open up the closets that caused me to run to pornography, the darkened corners in my life that helped me continue to run back to pornography. And so the issue of pornography seemed like the overwhelming concerning factor that if I just could get this one thing right and get that out of my life, I'd be okay. But what I really got to experience was new wholeness in Christ. And that wholeness now impacts all parts of my life, right? It makes me more thoughtful about how I talk to my kids and how I talk to my spouse and how I talk to others in the church and, and, and what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling and how do I communicate with that. So to this day, I get to hang out with four other guys or five other guys, and we are constantly reading and we check in every week. Are we, just are we checking in about pornography? Pornography hasn't been a problem for, you know, all of us have dealt with that. But we're talking about this is what I'm 
this is how I'm feeling. <laughs> Guys hate to talk about what they're feeling, right? But this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm thinking of doing. And how can we live in a more whole life? How can we, <laughs> again, God doesn't just want us to get rid of one concerning sin. He wants us to live in his freedom. For Christ, Christ was sent for us for, for true freedom, right? You probably can quote that scripture off the top of your head. I'm, it's rattling around here. It's my favorite verse. It's Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Mm. So it's like that. I mean, that, yes, he's not concerned about just getting, you know, rid of porn in your life. Yeah. He wants you to be, live and be free, fully free. Like that's what he's after. Not just one thing. He's at mm -hmm. our whole hearts to be abundantly alive. Uh, so I love that. Um, Let's talk about, there's so many, so many things. I want to talk about how can we help our kids if they've been exposed? You know, you, you referenced that. So I don't want to forget about that. I'm circling that on my paper right now. But I also want to talk about shame in the church and this message that um, just like the simplicity message that we typically hear um, maybe on a Sunday morning service and how, you know, as the church and even within our home, within our marriage, we can we can actually do something different and approach pornography different. So go wherever you want with that. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many ways we can go with that. That's a, that's a, that's very broad. Let's start, let's start with the, the, the shame factor, I guess, the, what I call self-hatred at my expense, shame, self-hatred at my expense. It becomes so like a dark cloud and people may hear that this is wrong and it is. We may hear uh, Paul saying that every sin, out, other sin, is outside of the body, but sexual sin is within the body. And how? But he is warning us not just that this, like this, is a sin is worse. He's saying, listen, you need to pay attention. To this, this is more impactful than you know. Your mind, uh, body, and spirit. It impacts your relationships. When the issues of pornography and unwanted sexual behaviors hit a, a marriage, it not just affects the individual who's struggling. There's a blast zone that impacts the marriage, the spouse, uh, the, the extended family, your church family, etc. It's, it's so impactful in so many different ways. Don't underestimate this. But we've often clouded that is this is somehow more shameful than other things. And I don't want to underestimate that it is, that it's a, it's a terrible, you know, it's an awful thing we don't want in our lives, right? I'm not, I don't want to minimize that. But it is, we need one another. And how many one another's are there in the Bible? How does Ecclesiastes chapter six talk about that if you are alone and you fall, what a pity that is but if you have someone with you they can pick you up that a strand of three cords are not easily broken that two can defend themselves where one is easily overtaken right there is so much to that and part of that is james five sixteen to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed and there's a 
distinct formula in there that we, even though it is foundational to the Christian faith, we practice it very poorly, and in, in especially within the Protestant church. I go to small churches, and they will say, you know, Sam, I don't see how I can find someone to really be my ally and use covenant eyes on my phone, tablet, computer, etc. Because we all know each other in our small church, and it's really hard to be that kind of vulnerable. Now, when you go to a large church, 5,000, 6,000, 10,000 people attending, and they say, well, you know, we don't know someone well enough to receive my, have an ally to receive my covenant eyes report, etc. Because we don't, we know, I don't know someone well enough to trust them with that. So it's not the size of the church that's the problem. We need to ask ourselves, what part of James 5.16 do we not believe? What we really want and desire, but what we're so petrified of, is to be known and loved. To be fully known and fully loved. Because when I come to another guy and I'm telling him what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking and what I'm doing and what I'm thinking of doing, my initial reaction would have been, you're going to reject me because you're going to think less of me. My reputation doesn't be quite as stellar because I'm being honest and vulnerable and real. And instead, he doesn't reject me. He says, no, Sam, I, oh, thank you for telling me that. I want to talk more about that. Let's, I, et cetera, right? And so, especially within a safe community with a safe process, they get to ask me some good questions. What's going on beforehand? When you fall, what happened during that day? What is, what is, what is a deep, what are the deeper things that are going on? And within that, then I am empowered to make better decisions. I get to grow in Christ. I get to lean into my faith. And so that is the value of a safe place and a safe community where we're not just telling people, don't do that, God's not for that, and wagging our finger at them and telling them how shameful they are, that they're a pervert, but how God loves them just as you are. Because authenticity builds uh, an intimate connection that is contagious. And within a safe, within, uh, a safe environment, you learn that I am a person and not a problem that my identity is found in Christ and not in my sin. And the cool, amazing thing about all this, all the churches I visited, to looked at churches that were doing this work well, what were they doing different? When they allowed people in a safe place and a safe process to deal with these condemning issues and do it in a grace-filled way that said, I love you too much to leave you this way, people went on fire. They wanted to give back to others. So a number of studies that you saw in the book show that there's a direct correlation between pornography use and whether someone, their a person's scripture reading, their prayer life, whether they felt close or far from God, that they had religious doubts. In fact, if there was a direct correlation of how much you use pornography, and whether you would serve in your church over the next six years in a volunteer role or a committee. And with all the churches that were doing this work well that we explore in the book, they were finding that the opposite was true. That having been discipled 
in this and addressing the issue, not from a vague point of view, but a direct view, then they, those people were, their, their scripture life had grown, their prayer life had grown, they attended church more often, they were giving back more to the church, that they were saying, and, and all the pastors in these different communities were saying, I don't do more work now, I do less. I now have volunteers from these groups that are saying, Pastor, I'll take that on. Hey, I'll do that. I can, give, I can, I can volunteer for that. So we have often stepped away from this because we were feared that it was too big, that it would take too much effort, and that there would be no real return on the effort. And the opposite is true. All the churches that we interviewed for this book, that's exactly what they were finding. And I didn't like pick and choose. If they were like really diving into this work, they were walking me through how they were doing, what they were doing, the sessions they were providing, the small groups that were, they were doing, how they were addressing it to the congregation as a whole. And over and over again, that was the repetitive theme. We have a growing church that is pressing more deeply. And this was not just large churches with lots of resources. These were small yeah. churches as well. What I love is that you directly give like a, a, a picture of how this can look, how you can change your church culture. And again, for you watching or listening, yes, we're talking about the local church, but also this this comes back to our homes and our marriages where the culture that we are creating in our home, you know, has it been one of shame, judgment, you know, belittling, whatever, fill in the blank, or, you know, I'm sure, I hope, I pray that you are wanting to change that into a safe place where we can have mm -hmm. real conversations honesty and through that through that compassion right where they're at or we're at then we can find that even just the safety and the vulnerability to then want to maybe pursue something different and i think that's such a different and beautiful perspective because for so long in the church we as you point out we in the local church at least we think maybe a a message or two on this specific topic, maybe just simply saying like, knock it off or stop, you know, it's wrong. So stop. We think that that's helpful or enough. Mm -hmm. And it really isn't simple. And really it is, I believe wholeheartedly as you thoroughly discuss in the book, that, that it, it does go back to the type of community, the type of relationships that we each individually are actually mm -hmm. having or not with other Christians, you know, do I, do I have people in my life that know me, mm -hmm. like the mm -hmm. real me? The opposite of addiction is community. The opposite of addiction is relationship. And, uh, and that, and you alluded earlier as well to how are we doing this in our home? And I think for, as for parents listening, this is imperative that you know this. Because we just talked about how impactful pornography is on the child and how adolescents are among the most prolific users of pornography. The average age for first exposure is somewhere between the ages of 8 and 12, depending on which survey you're looking at. Now, that means a lot of kids younger than 8 are also seeing pornography for the first time. And we have a hard time accepting this. We just think that, hey, we've done a pretty good job 
of protecting our home, having you know some general conversations of turning off the TV when some things are coming on, etc. But we're not having helpful conversations. I do say this to every parent, that if you find your child has viewed pornography, do not shame them. Because shame will not make them run away from pornography. Shame becomes impactful on their mind, body, and spirit. And so shame will actually teach them to hide better. So we don't want to teach our kids to hide. What we might want to say is, son, daughter, first of all, I want to tell you, uh, pornography is, can be very impactful on you. And, I, and so we're going to put away our devices for now, and we're going to come back and talk about this. I just think we need a little pause here for a minute. And so we're going to just collect our devices, and we're not, and we're, and we're just going to set this aside. But second, I need to really apologize to you. Because I should have warned you that this was coming for you. And I, and I put this discussion off because I wasn't sure how to have it myself. And if you've known your child has been exposed to pornography, you might even go back and apologize and say, listen, the way I handled that discussion wasn't helpful to you. And I just want to say, I'm sorry. That I didn't really know how to have this discussion well, but I've been learning and growing and I've, I've, I've found some things out. And I want you to know, I should prepare you for the day that you would see pornography, not if you were going to be exposed, but when. We have a hard time as parents preparing for those kinds of conversations because of five myths that I've found throughout. And number one is my kid is a good kid and they would never be curious. But we know that children are naturally curious about this, right? I was curious as, as you were curious as a child. We often see, you know, as children might show each other their body parts, et cetera, but they see other children. And that's where that usually where that curiosity ends. But with pornography, they're seeing a, adult bodies and demeaning and debasing and violent and harmful and destructive uh, acts. Number two, if my child saw it, they would just look away. But we need to understand that that young brain has a well-developed feeling part of the brain, but the prefrontal cortex of the brain, the decision-making, the executive functioning, doesn't fully develop until the mid to late 20s. So you have a brain that's easily excited, very can be have lots of emotion and feeling, but missing the executive function to control those thoughts. So we need to equip and train our kids for that day. I'll come back to that. Number three, the measures I have in place are good enough. That typically means that a parent is looking over the shoulder of their child. I cannot tell you the number of times, because we don't have protective software on our devices, that children are being exposed at young ages in the backseat of the car, in the kitchen while we're fixing dinner, etc. I'm I'm and I'll come, I'll, I'll full, I'll, I have a story that will illustrate that. Number four, boys are the only ones that are struggle. We don't have to worry about our girls. And number five, if I talk to my child about pornography, I'll just make them curious and they'll search for it. Again, we're already coming back to, we need to prepare for them for the day that they will see pornography, not if. So I had an eight-year-old or a 15-year-old girl come to a booth where I was speaking at an event 
And she said, I brought my mom and dad here to sign up for Covenant Eyes because when I was eight years old, I heard some boys say some words that I didn't understand. And so I asked my dad for his phone and I used my dad's phone to look those words up. And that was my first exposure to pornography. And as you described in your session, Sam, that's exactly how I felt. I couldn't stop clicking and I didn't know why, but I would keep going back to pornography over and over again in secret. And part of me knew it was wrong, but I couldn't stop that desire to go back. It was awakening me feelings I'd never felt. I didn't understand what was going on, but I would continue to go back. And so that would go on for about, I think it was two and a half, three years before my mom and dad by accident discovered. And so she was going to her mom and her dad for their phones, looking at pornography, hiding what she was doing, and then giving those devices back because she wasn't allowed to have her own device, right? I was uh, at an event speaking for the second year in a row. And I had, uh, the year before, I talked about how do we have this ongoing conversation to teach, train, and disciple our kids. And uh, there's a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, Junior, and Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. Uh, one is the junior version of Good Pictures, Bad Pictures is five to eight years old, maybe five to seven, maybe even four to seven. Uh, the, uh, the original book, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, is probably for kids eight or nine to about 12. All right. But in the junior version of this book, uh, they talk about we have good pictures of our family and our pets and our friends. And when we go on vacation, we take pictures and that's all great. And when we go on vacation and go to the beach, well, we have we wear our bathing suits to cover our bathing suit area, which now a child understands where their bathing suit area is, that it's private and not meant to be uncovered, and why that is. And then uh if we see pictures or video of the bathing suit not covered, well, that's pornography. And whenever we see that, we need to turn, run, and tell. So uh, I was there again speaking for the second year in a row, and this mom is booking across to me. And she says, hey, Sam, I just had to let you know my seven-year-old son was just exposed to pornography. And she's smiling and grinning, and I'm like, Okay, so I'm not going to get hit with a purse after all. <laughs> and she says, oh, no, you see, my seven, we did exactly what you said. We had software on our devices to protect our kids and have and ones that were also monitoring. So we were getting feedback and able to talk to our kids about what they were seeing and doing online, even when we didn't notice what they were doing. We had these this on con, ongoing conversation that it's okay to come with us to anything, no matter what it is, and it's always safe to come to us and talk to us, and we won't shame them and we won't be yell at them. We'll thank them for coming to us. And we had this, uh, we gave them the Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior book, and we were reading that as a bedtime story. Well, my seven-year-old son was at my neighbor's house, and their seven-year-old boy just received an iPad for his birthday. And he has found pornography on his own, and he's taken this, this iPad, and he shoves it in my son's face, and he says, look what I found. But the seven-year-old who's been trained says, no, puts his hand up in front of it, says, no, that's pornography. And he turns, runs, and tells mom and dad what happened. He's been equipped. He's been trained so that rather than being caught off guard, he knows what to do, right? So they congratulate them. They let him know how proud they are of him. But they also let the other parents know what happened. 
And they're flabbergasted that their seven-year-old son would be curious like every children child is curious. And with a little more investigation, they find that their son has exposed other children to pornography throughout the neighborhood of seven, nine, and 11 years old. All of those children kept it their secret, whether they were scared they were getting in trouble, whether it was their little secret, whether uh, they felt some shame, maybe they felt some shock, whatever it was, none of those kids told their moms and dads. Only the child who had been trained went to their mom and dad. So rather than making our kids naturally curious, we prepare them for the day that they're going to be exposed. We, that takes a lot of courage from us, though, as parents, to do the work and to actually carry it through. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. All those myths and then, you know, how to then equip, be proactive and not naive and just hopeful. Like it's, it's just, it's going to happen. So let's help them. I love, and thank you for sharing that story of the curiosity sort of overtaking versus knowing that because you already, Oh, I've heard about that. I know what that is. Nope. Like, I don't know. Super helpful. That's what we would hope. Yeah. Let's talk about the difference between how men and women get stuck in pornography. Interestingly enough, it's very similar. It's very similar. And one thing about women, they are, their brains are much better wired for storing visual information. Now, there's a lot of people out there talk about, oh, men are very visual, yada, yada, yada. But the ability of a woman to be able to store or a girl to store imagery in their brains for later replay is significantly better. So the impact of pornography visually, what, we, what I often heard and, and have heard women say is that as a, as a teen girl, I didn't have to keep running the gamut of or running the risk of being caught using pornography because I could replay it in my head. So the impact of that pornography is so, so very impactful. Also, uh, what studies have shown is that if there's been childhood sexual abuse before the age of 12, they are more likely to be hypersexual than children who are, than girls who are, um, had childhood sexual abuse after that age. We're more likely to be more inhibited. Now, that doesn't say one way or the other that they'll always be uh, more, um, have more problematic sexual behavior or more drawn to porn. It just says there are greater likelihood of those. So if those are probably the biggest two distinguishing factors, but both men and women, boys and girls, being exposed to pornography at an early age, having an ongoing access to pornography, and then beginning to anesthetize their emotions and their feelings and regulate their moods with pornography is a significant factor in whether that would be compulsive. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's like, it's just interesting because I think for sure as Christians, when we talk about pornography, we just assume, and even I've heard again, just the messaging around it is it's aimed toward men. 
It's just mm-hmm. that it's this, this, this struggle is a man's struggle. And yet it's not. And so I just like want to get right. a big phone and be like, your women in your congregation, the women in your home, the women at around your Thanksgiving dinner table or your friends, it's not just your small group. It's not just the men. And so that just that that needs to, I think, be done that that, that pornography is a man's struggle. And um, you know, we've certainly inherited that from over decades, right? And it was, and it's true that in general, comparatively, more men struggle with pornography than women, but a third of women in the church say they have an ongoing struggle. 14% say they're using it multiple times a week. So, and we've often made women very responsible for everything sexual in our culture, how they dress, what they say, what they don't say. Can you say enough? Don't say that much. Or you know, it is just, we have made them too responsible for how everyone should think and feel, right? <laughs> and so we need to provide just as much help for girls and women who are struggling. I remember being at a Southern Baptist Convention conference. And this is not just, and, and listen, I don't, I'm not picking on Southern Baptists at all. But I remember a, a woman in her 50s coming to my table and she at co- the Covenant Ice table and she's looking at it and saying, oh my goodness, uh, this is all, all this education is so valuable and so important. I'm so grateful you're doing this. And, you know, I have three sons and, and she paused, she stopped and she looked at me and goes, not for my sons, for me, I've struggled with pornography for decades. So we need to really create an opportunity for a woman to be to find freedom, to be able to talk about it, because as a church and as a society, we heap more shame on women who would struggle because she is now sinning like a man, right? She there is something especially defective about her, surely. And that that attitude and that shame is just creating more hiding, and we're not providing the help and the grace that God once for his church. So let's get into that. The, 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 the journey of freedom from the stronghold of pornography is, is abstinence the answer? Okay. That's a great question. Um, especially within, within uh, marriage, we think, well, we were just talking about how women are so responsible for too much and everything. And often when the issue of pornography has come up in the marriage, the church has had a difficult time asking some very negative and unhelpful questions and asking, okay, your husband is struggling with pornography. What role, what is your role in his struggle? Um, are you dressing the right way? Are you making yourself available? Why does he seem to want to have to go out outside of the marriage to find his satisfaction? And what we need to realize is that he was viewing pornography before when he was a child or a teenager. He watched pornography in high school and, his, and, and in college or trade school. 
he was watching pornography before he came into the marriage. He was watching pornography when they were dating and when they were engaged. And when he, they say, she said, yes, to sex, he was watching pornography. And when she said, no, he was watching pornography. And so pornography is not her fault, right? His pornography use is not her fault. If you have been, you know, if you're listening or watching and that statement just like resonated with your core, because if you like, if you have been told that it is in any way or even suggested that it is just like pause this video, pause the podcast and just like, let that sink in. Okay. You can continue. (laughs) Well, I open up that a chapter in the book that really unwinds that a little bit, that kind of bad influence or bad discussions that have been having happening. And I got so many of these stories. I, it was over the top, the number of these stories I got. So it was heartbreaking. And, uh, and a, and a wife is sitting in a, a, in a chair. She garnered every amount of, about courage that she can muster to talk to her pastor. And she tells him about how her husband has been viewing pornography and how he says, you he will stop it and then keeps going back and now she keeps finding pornography and in different places and on their machines and how that it's had such an is having such an impact on her heart our mind body and spirit it all, all being impacted and threatened by this pornography and it's stressful and it's 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 finding her in ways that she does not want to be defined and it's it's hurtful and it's destructive and he and she feels that she's really being listened to. Like he asked the question, "How long has this been going on? What what has been communicated? What has he been saying?" And uh, etc. So she thinks she's being heard. He's going to talk to him and and begin working with him. And then the next day, the pastor's wife gives a call and says, "Hey, could I stop by today?" And now the, she says, "You know, is, does the pastor's wife know what I talked to him about?" And when the pastor's wife comes over, the assistant pastor's wife is with her as well. So does that mean now the assistant pastor's wife knows what's been going on? Does that mean her husband knows what, what's going on? Is how many other people know about what I told my pastor? And they are each carrying a box and they walk into her home and with smiles and she opens the boxes and they're filled with lingerie. It's a punch in the gut that says, I get it. I'm not enough. That's why he goes to pornography. They blame me. And that's what we need. We need to stop this blame game. And help, really help. And so you ask the question, is abstinence, does that hold, hold value? And here's why it does. First of all, we need some support for the marriage and relationship that that involves uh, counseling from someone who's qualified who understands sexual addiction. So there's deal with this well. What we what our clinical sex addiction therapist CSAT. There's also an organization called uh, Christian. Um, it's CSASI, uh, and and for some reason that's not coming to me. But they're Christian sex addiction therapists. 
And so with those qualifications, they have a better and deeper understanding. And here's what they found over and over again, that a period of abstinence, though not always required, is often suggested between 30 and 90 days of abstinence because it takes about 14 days to reset the neurochemistry just to return to a baseline. Now, that doesn't mean the neural pathways have changed or anything like that. You're just getting your neurochemistry, your dopamine levels back to a normal threshold. 14 days. Where it takes about 30 days to begin gaining some basic belief that maybe I can live without pornography. Maybe my whole world isn't about sex. But it takes about 90 days to begin tapping in to understanding true intimacy. Because the sexualized brain, the sexualized heart, the pornified heart, has equated that sex is intimacy. And intimacy is sex. And we have missed out on how that sex is just one form of intimacy. And how many more ways that we can access true intimacy and love and care within the marriage relationship. So as we say, hey, let's take a pause, as even as is it is even advised in scripture, then we can one thing that is discovered and learned is wait, I I can live without sex. I'm not, I'm not going to die if I don't have sex or pornography. So really, uh, having someone to walk you through that is vital. Now, as we have talked about that, one of the things we also need to do is have a safe disclosure process. Often that requires two counselors, a counselor for the spouse, as well as a counselor for the husband or wife who's been struggling with pornography. The Victory app by Covenant Eyes, again, I'll say that again, the Victory app by Covenant Eyes, among the courses that are in there that help people understand how did I get here, why do I seem to stuck, and how can I begin living in freedom, there is also a course in there about safe disclosure. How do we do this well? So that is mapped out for you in there, and so take advantage of that, written by Christian counselors, that can really help guide you toward a meaningful and supportive disclosure because so often the disclosure is done so poorly where it's, I told you one little thing. Well, I have another little thing to tell you. And then I have another little thing to tell you. And that is where I'm holding back. I'm not really giving you all the details or how much detail should be given. That is also explained in the course because we don't, you know, we have to be careful of that as well. So we need some guidance, and guess what? <laughs> You're not the first one that has had to deal with this. You can learn from others. There are processes already in place, and you can navigate this trauma, this pain, this struggle, and others have been there before, and you can learn from their, what they've discovered. Yeah. I think for anyone who is maybe tired of trying or tired of hoping, mm-hmm. for anyone who has maybe felt shamed, like they can't even enter into this idea of freedom is possible, mm-hmm. um, 
it's so crucial that, or even if you have, I, I know also there are maybe some watching or listening who have heard my spouse or I've shared with my spouse that pornography is an issue in our, in, in our own lives. And the, res, the response has just been like, pretend, to, pretend we never even talked about it or pretend like, you know, I'm just not going to deal with it or I'm, I can't go there with them or even, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that looks like. If it hasn't been one of forward moving encouragement and hope, um, and you feel you haven't, if you haven't felt like it's possible, we just in, invite you to mm-hmm. believe again um, for you, for your husband, for your kids, your friends, family, whoever, like it, there is hope. And so, I mean, I'm just grateful for all of the work that you're doing at Covenant Eyes. Um, We've been an affiliate with you and we've been sharing about Covenant Eyes for years. And so to have the app and to have your book, again, we've been talking about Sam Black's book, The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. Um, All of the links are in the show notes. uh, So please check all of them out. Could you leave us, Sam, with like an encouraging story? If you can think of one, maybe with a husband, like within a marriage, um, that'd be awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. One, before I step into that word of encouragement, is that uh, the issue within marriage, as you were talking about, is so impactful. And so there's gaslighting that goes on, there's blaming that goes on, et cetera, within the marriage. And so uh, I invited Dr. Sherry Keffer, who is, who is an amazing counselor uh, that deals with betrayal trauma specifically. And so uh, she wrote a chapter in the book, and I hope that you'll get the book, read her chapter, because it just really helps you better understand why has this been so impactful on my mind, body, and spirit and how I feel about myself, how I feel about a relationship. So I think you'll find that very helpful. The number of times that, in in the book, that show this renewal, this life change, this acceptance of, hey, I have struggled so deeply. There, I tell this through stories within the book. And I think Troy and Melissa Haas are among those, a, a couple that come to mind, who have who walk down a road of, of Troy's struggle with pornography. And he was sure that, you know, when he came to Christ as a teenager, he thought he'd be able to, all the other things and issues that he had been struggling with, drugs and alcohol and other issues, the, the church was ready to address those. But pornography was one of those things he was just told, don't do that. God's not for that. And he didn't really know how to break free. So he thought, well, when I get to high school, I'll finally find freedom because I'll be around more mature people. And when I get to college, I'll be around more, uh, a Christian college. I'll be around people that are more uh, engaged in Christ and I'll find freedom. And when I get to seminary, I'll be really engaged with people who are really on fire for God and now it won't be a problem for me. And that didn't work. And so when I go into the mission field, I will be free from pornography because I'll be so dedicated to my work. And none of these things worked because he never dealt with the underlying struggle. Of course, the struggle can can get worse. And so pornography would lead him into affairs and their marriage seemed and their, their 
faith life, their work as missionaries came to a screeching halt, but they got help. They reached out to others and found help through counseling and a community of a church that said, we'll take you just as you are. And with that community and with that support, they learned to not only understand why Troy had struggled so much, but also provide healing for Melissa and help her in her journey and help her understand how it, that she allowed too many of her boundaries to be crossed and how she could grow in her own faith, her own uh, journey. And today they are, to this day, and for, oh man, at least 25 years have been working and providing hope and healing for others through a ministry called Hope Quest. And so that, those, you say, well, is that an exception, Sam? What I found that to be true over and over again, thousands of people, thousands of couples, maybe many more than that, have been able to say, hey, we're willing to address this together. And when we both can, can really seek help and hope and healing, the, the journey, the struggle that seemed insurmountable, that there seemed to be no hope in sight. Now they live in victory, in deeper relationship, with deeper intimacy, with greater love, so much that is overflowing and one, they give it away to others. And that, to me, is the hope that, you know, having had a spiritual awakening, those who go through a safe place and a safe process want to give back. Yeah, and I think that's the key. So often there hasn't been, we haven't known about a safe place or experienced mm -hmm. a safe place with a safe process for both husband and wife. I love that. Again, just telling you, you got to get the book, The Healing Church. It's linked in the show notes. What churches are getting, what churches get wrong about pornography and how to fix it. Sam, thank you again um, for being with us, for being obedient to writing this book um, and to the work that you're doing. Would you please um, pray over the wives and their husbands before we yes. close out? Yes. Thank you, Amanda. Father, thank you so much for loving us right where we are right where our circumstances are and it seems sometimes it seems like the whole world is sitting on top of our shoulders and we don't know what to do and we don't know what to where to go but you love us and you have so much more for us father would you kindle hope in hearts who are listening would you encourage their their spirit to take action, not to put off what seems like too big of an issue to, to fight with, too big of a struggle to take on, but to take those next steps now, not to wait, but to move forward. And Father, there's, there's going to be links on the site, and we just ask that you provide a sense of encouragement that, yes, I, am, I want to be known and fully loved. I know that there is someone in my community where in my community church where I can speak to and begin receiving some hope, but 
Uh, there's also answers that to be had that I can equip my friends and my allies with, that I can equip my own heart with, that I can equip those in my life with, and I'm going to take advantage of this today. Thank you, Lord. I pray for your spirit of peace on each one listening today. In your precious name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Sam. Thank you, everyone, for being with us, for listening. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, um, anything for us, just you can always get in touch with us at info at a wife like me.com or just click that email link in the show notes as well and send us an email. Um, or just comment or send us a DM. We're over on Instagram again at a wife like me. So thank you so much, Sam, again, for being with us. We appreciate you. And um, I'm sure we will be chatting again at some point in the future. I look forward to it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone.